Well, please, if you have your Bibles there, open with me to Mark 15 and join with me in prayer as we come to look at this breathtaking news and topic of the cross of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time we have now to stop and to think about Jesus and to think about why he died, the turning point of history. We pray that you'd help us now, Lord. Whether we have heard this news thousands of times or whether this is the first, we plead with you to help us to see the cross afresh this morning. By your spirit, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I said, on Sunday mornings, we're working through the Apostles' Creed. If you've got a welcome sheet, we, it is printed out on the back there. There's 12 statements that I'm, we're going to look at in 10 weeks, and it's a summary of the Christian faith. What's the Bible all about? What is it all about? There it is summarized in those statements. And so far, we've looked at, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. And now we're looking at the fourth one, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. I wonder this morning, what do you make of the cross of Jesus? When you think about it, what do you make of it? You know, mostly today, if we're honest, it is ignored. It is on the very side, periphery of people's thinking. People don't think about it. People don't want to know about it. Often it is mocked and made fun of. Sometimes people just um, offend, are offended by it when they think about it and just push it again to the side. Maybe some people use it as a good luck charm. What do you make of the cross? This morning, we have got the privilege of being able to pause. In a busy life, in a non-stop life, we can come together and think for a few moments on the turning point in history, the most important event, the death and then next week, the resurrection of Jesus. And I really believe if we grasp the cross, if we understand what's going on here, it'll transform our lives. And I mean that if you're a Christian this morning, understanding the cross and seeing it afresh will turn our lives upside down again. You see, as we, look, as we look on the cross, it has the power to kind of warm our cold hearts, to break the hardness that can often be there, to kind of win us back again from wandering from God. And if you're not a Christian here this morning, then this has got the power to turn your life upside down. Because who Jesus is and what he's done can all be seen on the cross. There it shows that you are loved, that you are precious, that you are, yes, um, fallen and, and we need forgiving, but it shows us tremendous news here. So we're going to ask or, or look at the when of the cross, the what of the cross, and the why. Okay, we're going to see when it happens, what happened, and then why it happened. And we'll use this um, the lines from the Apostles' Creed to help us and uh, as we see it in Mark 15. So first of all, we're going to look at the when of the cross. I wonder if you find it strange. Here are a limited number of words in the Apostles' Creed that sum up the whole of the Christian faith, the whole of the Bible, and in there we have two words taken up with a man called Pontius Pilate. When words are few, when you wanted to shrink it down, are you surprised that in there is Pontius Pilate? Why, why is he there? 
Why on earth do we have Pontius Pilate in the Apostles' Creed? Well, um, one of the reasons is this. This free or this name, this person, anchors the events of the cross in real history. This isn't legend. This isn't myth. This happened at the time of Pontius Pilate, a man who you can find in the history books and you can trace back. He was a Roman governor uh, in the province of Judea and he served under the emperor Tiberius in the year 26 or 27 to 36, 37 AD. That's when he was alive. That's when he lived. That's when he served. That's when he was the ruler and the Roman governor. He really existed and he really was alive just like Jesus was and just like Jesus' death really happened. So you see, it anchors. In all of this going on, it is saying this happened at a real point in history. He suffered under Pontius Pilate. Now, when we think about Pontius Pilate as well, it helps us to kind of see what was going on at, at this time. Why was Pilate involved in the crucifixion of Jesus in any case? Well, as we see in chapter 15, we're told as soon as it was morning, uh, the chief priests held a consultation uh, with the elders and the scribes and the whole council. They bound Jesus and led him to Pilate. Now, why? Well, the Sanhedrin, who were the Jewish leaders, wanted Jesus dead. They hated him. He was taking up all uh, their attention. He was taking away their power and they wanted to get rid of him. They were offended by him, but they couldn't kill him. They didn't have the permission to do this. The only person who had the, the permission to do this was Pilate. So on the previous night before Pilate's brought into the story, they have this mock court where Jesus is found guilty of, of blasphemy. He claimed to be the son of God and they found him guilty. But that wasn't enough for Pilate. Pilate didn't care about the Jewish laws of blasphemy. So they needed a bigger accusation, something that would get Pilate's attention. So they accused him of calling himself the king of the Jews. Now we're talking, they're thinking. Now he's going against Caesar. He is committing treason. That's a bigger deal. So we can get Pilate in on the story. He can come in on the action and he can make Jesus go to the cross. And then we see this conversation between Pilate because Pilate needs to find out, needs to investigate. Is this true? Is this not? What's going on here? And throughout it all, do you notice Pilate asks questions and Jesus is very quiet with his answers are you the king of the jews you've said so and he says again have you no answer to make to make see that so many charges they're making against you verse four but jesus made no further answer and jesus is quiet he doesn't say much at all and on three occasions here um, Pilate tries to back out of this whole situation he, he tries to get away look at verse nine he says, do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? Here's a way out. Can I get rid of him? Can I get rid of this problem? Verse 12, uh, Pilate says, what shall I do with this man you call king of the Jews? Verse 14 as well. Why? Um, he says, what evil has he done? You know, what's, he, what, what's your problem with him? I can't see anything wrong. And so Pilate can see through the issues here. Verse 10, he sees that there was out of envy the chief priest had delivered Jesus. Pilate could see what was going on. And yet, and he could see Jesus was innocent. And yet, what does he do? Verse 15, he delivers him over to be crucified. He gets him flogged, which we'll think about in a moment. So even though Jesus, uh, Pilate finds Jesus innocent, even though Pilate knows the situation that these chief priests and the scribes, they are jealous of Jesus, he still sends Jesus to be killed. Why? Well, verse 15 answers it, doesn't it? G um, he, Pilate wishing to satisfy the crowd. He was so worried about what others were thinking. 
He was so worried about his, his, his position as governor that he couldn't let Jesus go. And when we piece this together with, again, real history, we see why. Pilate hadn't had a very good track record with the Jews. In other places in history books, we can see on two occasions he upset them. One was that he used Roman images, and they, the Jews really hated that. They saw it as idolatry, and so they didn't want that. And so he put them up, and he had to pull them down because there was an uproar. And in another place, he used money from the temple treasury to build an aqueduct. Tens of thousands of Jews, again, were up in arms about it. So you can imagine this news is getting back to his boss, Caesar, that he's caused these two uprisings, or these two things that are, that are upsetting the Jews. And so here's another potential one. They want Jesus dead, so what does he do? Even though he can't find any reason wrong with him, he says, right, okay, let's, let's put him to death. Here is a true historic situation. Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate. Now, as we always want to do when we look at the Bible and we look at things, and to ask, so what? What difference does that make us to us today? Well, we thought a few weeks ago about how the fact that Jesus really existed should give us confidence. He was a real person in real history. And again, this touches on it. He suffered under Pontius Pilate. This really happened. This was at a real time. See, Christianity isn't a theory. It's not just kind of um, theology and ideas. It is not an argument that we have to convince people about. This is real history. It really happened. It's very easy to slip into thinking that, isn't it? It's about an argument, convincing people. And maybe you're sitting there to say, come on, I need to be convinced. Maybe you're there sitting thinking of somebody who's asked you a tough question in work, and you're thinking, I need to be able to convince them about this news. Now, that is important to be able to try and help and answer people's questions. Of course, we want to try and help and see uh, what people are thinking. But do you see what this is telling us? This really happened. Jesus came, he lived, he died. Here are facts. So the gospel message isn't a theory. The, the gospel message, the message of the Bible, isn't a lifestyle tips on how to improve your life. It's an announcement. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He came into this world. He died and he rose again. That is what has been announced here. It happened at this time under this ruler. Look it up. Find out. Now, if you're a Christian this morning, sharing the message of the Bible is declaring this good news. Not about convincing people of clever arguments. It's saying, look, Jesus died. What do you make of it? He really did die. You can't just fob him off as legend or myth. He really existed. We're declaring it. Again, as I said, we want to help with questions, of course. But let's remember we're declaring good news. And if you're not a Christian here this morning, please hear this. Christianity is not some life tips to improve your life. A little bit of advice here and there. Now, of course, it is practical what God says about how we should live. Of course it is. But ultimately, it comes down to this. Jesus has done something in history that can change your life. He's done it. It's not about you doing things. It's something Jesus has done. Now, as well as we think about Pilate here, do you see he's a warning to us? Pilate saw that Jesus was innocent. He saw that Jesus was different. And what did he do with it? He let other people, what other people thought of him, affect his decision. So even though the truth was there before him, he was so concerned about his job, so concerned about what other people thought about him and his position, that he dismissed Jesus. I wonder, have you dismissed Jesus 
without a good reason. Have you put him off because you think, well, what would people think if I started to be, follow Jesus or trust in Jesus? What would people think if I started to... Uh, have, have you let that decide rather than the fact that this man really existed, really died for the reason we'll see in a moment? Have you given a good enough thought to him? Are you putting Jesus off for a not a good enough reason, just like Pilate did? So, Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate. That's the when of the cross. Now we're going to look at the what of the cross. Do you see what it tells us? He was crucified. He died and was buried. See, before under Pontius Pilate, we have that word suffered. Jesus suffered. Jesus went through an agonizing time on the cross. Now, crucifixion, we talk about in church, and you might have heard about the cross and things because we mention it now, but back in the first century, it wasn't spoken about. It was an embarrassment. It was something that was just ashamed, people were ashamed of and didn't think about, the cross and, and crucifixion. Remember, this was a culture which was a lot of shame culture, so to be embarrassed or to have shame was really worse than a physical suffering. And that's what they thought about of the cross. It was, a, it was just an embarrassment. The Romans invented crucifixion to be the most painful way of killing people. Jesus had already been flogged. That meant he was whipped and beaten, but he was whipped with ropes which had bits of metal in them, and they would hook into his skin, and they would be ripped out chunks of flesh. Even by the time that was finished, his muscles would be revealed, his internal organs could be seen. And then he's made to carry a cross. The soldiers are mocking him, they're laughing at him, um, you know, then they, they put this crown of thorns on his head. That wasn't something you buy in a fancy dress shop, that was something that was meant to dig into his skin and again make more blood uh, flow down his face. So as I said, his back was now lacerated, he'd have had to carry his cross uh, all the way up to Calvary. When he got there, after walking through the town, everybody mocking him and laughing at him, Nails were hammered into his wrists and his feet. They would go through bones and tendons. Then he was raised up for everybody to see him, naked, everybody laughing at him and mocking him. He'd be on the cross for hours, slowly dying, his lungs slowly filling up with blood. And so every breath he took, he'd have to push up, uh, pull up on these nails that was hanging him to the cross. Every moment was agony. The cross was literally beyond words to describe. That's why they had to invent a new word, excruciating, which literally means out of the cross. They needed to think, they needed to make up a word to describe how painful this was. Literally beyond words. He would have suffered immense blood loss. He hadn't had a drink probably in 12 hours by this point. His tongue would have been swollen, sticking to the roof of his mouth. And we see here, just as in John's Gospel, he cries out for a drink, and people offer him a drink, and they give him vinegar, effectively. Now, can you imagine vinegar, if you've ever had a cut on your a paper cut on your finger, and you get a bit of vinegar in there, it's horrible, isn't it? Imagine having face which is bleeding, and people put dripping vinegar, just to, uh, just to make it even worse. So there he was, stripped in agony. Now, remember who it is we're speaking of. Piece it together with what we've looked at in the past few weeks. This is... Jesus Christ, the promised one, the almighty one, the one who created and sustains the universe, the one who is all-powerful, 
the one who designed the one who designed the bones that were now being broken you know the one who uh, designed the the um the nail the uh, wood oh sorry created the tree that was he was being nailed to he's an immense pain and shame see when we say the apostles creed suffered under pontius pilate do you see just in one word suffered what we're talking about there's so much there immense pain now one thing this helps us with as we ask the so what question is jesus this shows us that jesus was fully human yes he was fully god we've thought about that but he was fully man too and so god knows what it's like to suffer god knows what it's like to experience pain and darkness and grief and shame he has been there this means our god has scars he's not uh, far away and distant but close and knows what it is to be human he knows what it is to be tempted to have struggles to feel in despair to feel hopeless jesus has been there that means you can turn to him if you've ever spoken to somebody when you're in a dark place or a tough time it's such a relief isn't it to speak to somebody who's been through what you're going through somebody who gets it jesus here shows us on the cross he was going through immense physical struggles is that what you're going through at the moment maybe mental or physical struggles that are just dark and hopeless jesus has been there and he says come to me talk to me about it i've been there i know here is somebody who you can go to now in verse 45 pilate is surprised because jesus has died so quickly and he wants to make sure that jesus is dead so what does he do in verse 45 he sends the professionals over and he says look go make sure that he's dead again he doesn't want to mess this up pilate is on thin ice uh, with his job and his role and he doesn't want to lose his job make sure he's dead and the professionals go over and say yes you know he's dead and so then he is his body is then given to joseph who goes and asks for his body again joseph who was well known people would have known where his tomb was another historical thing where you can check up as well as simon of cyrene they even tell who is um who he was who he's the father of these are real people really were there go and check it out for yourself he's buried in joseph's tomb jesus christ we believe that he suffered under pontius pilate he was crucified died and his corpse was buried we've looked at the when we've looked at the what now let's ask the question why why on earth did jesus go through with that he could have stopped it at any moment in fact we as you read through the gospels we know he came for this purpose this was his goal this was his aim why he is the all-powerful god man the one with all power and authority and strength and he subjected himself to this well to understand this we need to look at probably the most controversial line in the whole of the apostles creed okay and that is he descended into hell now what does it mean when we talk about that well what does that tell us about well remember originally the apostles creed was written in greek and uh, the greek word translated hell is the word hades and that simply means the place of the dead the greek word for hell that we can think of as hell is gehenna and that's not the word used here so it's talking about the place of the dead the point that this is point is wanting us to see and underlining is that jesus really died 
He truly died. He didn't faint. Some people might put that out as an excuse as to why Jesus rose again. Because, oh, he just fainted. No, no, no. He really died. And for three days, he was dead. He, his, in the Bible, death it can be defined like this. It's the separation of body and soul. When the soul and the body are separated. Two things that should never be separated, they are separated. If you've ever been in a horrible place where you've seen a loved one die, when you look at their body, you know where it is, don't you? They're, they're not there anymore. It's not them. Their body and their soul have been separated. And Jesus here, that's what's happening to him. When we say that word, he, word that phrase, he descended into hell, he descended to the place of the dead, that is, he really died. Now, why is it so important that we underline that, that Jesus had to die? Well, Jesus wasn't just dying for dying's sake. He wasn't just dying because um, he, he wanted to. No, he, 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 had, he had to die because he was taking our place. We were created to live. We were created to live. And life can be summed up uh, and defined by kind of knowing God. That's why we were created to be. To know and love and enjoy him. He is the fountain, the source of life. God is the source of life. But we've walked out on God. We've walked away from the source of life. We've cut ourselves off, as it were, from him. So a good illustration of this is if you picture cut flowers. You know, when you bring flowers back for somebody you care about and say, here it is, I love you, here's some flowers, you're actually giving them flowers that have been cut off from their source. They haven't got their roots anymore. They're effectively dying flowers. That's a way to make a moment romantic, isn't it? Here's some dying flowers for you. But there they are. Cut flowers are dying. You know, they're on borrowed time because they've been cut off from the source. If they want to live again, they need to somehow be attached back to the roots, back in the ground where they should be growing. We are made to be connected to God, but we've cut ourselves off, which means even though we look alive spiritually, naturally, when we're born into this world, we're cut off from God, we are dead. And the result of that is we deserve to die. So Jesus comes and he lives a life which is never disconnected from God the Father lives perfectly, never distrusts him, always follows him, does everything he should do, and he dies in our place. He takes our spot. He says they deserve to die because they've walked out on, on God, but I'm going to die in their place. See, he had to die because he was taking our place. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, where, O death, is your sting? I heard this illustration, which is similar to what I've said before, but imagine there's a child in a car and she is um, allergic to bees. And then suddenly this bee comes into the car and she's panicking. And her dad is there and, and, and he puts his hand over the bee on the, on the window and he winces and then he opens the window and sets the bee free. And she says, well, what if it comes back? What if it comes to sting me? And he says, no, no, I've taken the sting. Look, the sting's in my hand. It won't come back. I've taken the sting. And in the same way, Jesus needed to die so that he could take the punishment we deserve for the wrong we've done. And he says, I've taken the sting. I've taken it in your place. So he takes what we deserve, and then we get what he deserves, which is access to the Father, a life with God. So when we say this together, he descended into hell. We are underlining the fact that he died in my place. He truly died. 
Now, before we finish, I just wanted to mention another um, way that people have read that he descended into hell. I don't think it's saying this, but the Bible says this. John Calvin was one who believed this, who was a great 16th century theologian. And the point is this. He says, look, Jesus suffered our hell on the cross. The hell that we deserve, that is, um, we deserve to be punished by God for the wrong we've done. We've said to God, God, I don't want you. And God says, fine, don't have me. And leaves us have that punishment. We deserve to be abandoned by God because we've abandoned him. Well, on the cross, Jesus suffered our hell. For those three hours, there he suffered what we deserve. And in a, a way which we can't understand, in those moments, he suffered an eternity of hell that we deserve. In some ways, Jesus' death was like so many other people because thousands of people died on the cross. But there's a few things in Mark's account of the cross that show that there was something different going on here. What have you noticed that we read through? The first is the darkness. Look at verse 33. When the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. Now, there was something deep going on here. For three hours, it was midday and it went dark. As you read the Old Testament, you start to see that darkness is associated with God's judgment. And so God being light, suddenly now there is darkness. You see, God is hiding his face. Now, when we look at what, how hell is described in the Bible, it's described as outer darkness. So can you see Jesus here is experiencing the rejection from the Father that we deserve. He is experiencing the hell that we deserved as he has plunged into darkness, the light of the world plunged into darkness for those hours on the cross. He was experiencing our hell. Not only that, when we listen to what Jesus says in verse 34, did you remember those words? He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? See, Jesus is telling us here what he's facing. He's facing judgment and he's facing the rejection that we deserve from the Father. Remember, we have said to God the Father, we don't want you. And so part of his judgment to us is saying, fine, don't have me. We've abandoned him and we deserve to be abandoned by him. So on the cross, that is what Jesus was taking. Remember what 2 Corinthians 5 tells us. It tells us this, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. So he took our sin and was bearing the consequences from that. See, Jesus on the cross was taking our punishment, our rebellion for all of our failures, all our lies, all our evil thoughts and words and deeds. He was taking that. You see, God has to punish sin and Jesus was taking the punishment we deserve. And so the answer to the question, my God, why have you forsaken me? The answer to Jesus' question is this. The answer is you. He was forsaken for you and me. He took our hell so we could have access to his heaven. See, Jesus here is bearing the weight of an eternity of sin. So when we read those words, he descended to hell, it is reminding us, it is telling us Jesus really died. But we can also remember that he there was taking the punishment, our hell on the cross. There's something else that makes Jesus' death unique as well, isn't there? Because as he is bearing that weight of sin, he breathes his last in verse 37. And then Mark takes us across to the, another part of Jerusalem, to the temple. 
and there in the temple, a hugely dramatic scene happens. The, the curtain is torn in two from top to bottom. Now, what's going on there? Why does Mark take us to the temple? Well, you see, in the temple was the place where God dwelt. But access to God was limited because there was this huge curtain and only the high priest at one time of year could go in. But here Jesus dying, taking our punishment, then makes the way open. The temple curtain is torn in two from top to bottom. See, Jesus died. The way was made. The sacrifice was made. And he um, made it possible for us to have access to the Father. You see, what is going on on the cross? In many ways, it's very common because lots of people died in that way. But there's many things as well that make it unique. Jesus was bearing our punishment. He was taking our place. So why did Jesus die? He died in our place. He took our punishment. He faced our hell so that we could be forgiven, so that we could have access to God. He took our hell so we could have his heaven. Now this morning, if you're a believer, look at the cross. As you look at the cross, do you know what we are told? Two truths. One is that you are deeply flawed and sinful. You are uh, somebody who's failed. And you don't need me to tell you that. We just need to look at our lives, don't we? But as well as being deeply flawed, we are deeply and profoundly loved. Look at the cross. If you're feeling full of guilt this morning, feeling full of shame, know this. Jesus died for you. He died to forgive you. And it is done. It is finished. If you're holding on to, uh, to, to guilt and shame and thinking, oh, God can't forgive that. Well, do you know what you're saying? The cross wasn't enough. Jesus' death wasn't enough and I have to add to it. But Jesus' death was enough. Maybe this morning you're in a circumstance and it is just tough and hard and you think, can God really love me if this is happening to me? Look at the cross. Look at how low Jesus came. Look at what he bore in your place. Look that he was forsaken for you. If you feel a distance from God this morning, wondering if he cares, again, look at the cross. That's what Jesus did for you so that you can draw near. So let's flee our sin. Let's warm our cold hearts. Let's look at the cross until our hearts are warmed. And maybe you're um, not a Christian yet and you're thinking these things through. What do you make of the cross now? In the light of what we've said, maybe you've been ignoring it. Maybe you've just got used to it as a good luck charm. Maybe you've just not really thought, what do you make of it now? Look at the cross. See what it shows us. God is real. He loves you. And he offers you this glorious free forgiveness. You can leave today knowing that you're right with God. Knowing that you have peace with him. How? By turning to Jesus and saying, Jesus, save me. Jesus, rescue me. And he will. He won't turn anyone away. So turn to him now. Don't put this off. Trust in him. And he accepts all who come. Let's pray to close. Father, we thank you for the cross. We thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that he willingly took our place. We thank you that it truly happened. And we pray, please, that everyone... Um, who is listening or watching this will know that you are true and real, know that you love them and that there is a fresh start on offer with you. 
And we pray this in Jesus' name.